All right, we're going. Okay. So this is the third episode now of the Van Linden podcast. Uh, thank you, Eric, for coming on. I appreciate being here. It's always a pleasure to sit with you. <laughs> cool. Um, so you called me today. I wasn't planning on doing a podcast, but I'm glad you did because I've been meaning to get another one out. Yeah, I know. It felt like a good day for a podcast with the looming clouds. Yeah, you know, definitely. It's just good podcast weather. Totally. <laughs> and uh, it seemed like, you know, uh, there's just a lot going on right now, too. You mm-hmm. know, a lot to discuss. Yeah. And uh, just getting over the fourth, you know, that's always... The initiation of summer really at its biggest, at its, you know, this is as good as it's going to get, right? Summers, mm-hmm. the days are starting to already get shorter. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. So, I think the first thing I want to talk to you about is I've kind of heard like little parts of this story, like since I've known you, but uh-huh. I don't feel like I know the whole thing and it sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, when you were like my age, I think you lived on a boat. Yeah. Yeah. Is no, it- I had a, a very uh, interesting and very liberal parents that, you know, allowed me to follow my passion, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I was a boat enthusiast from a really early point in my life. My dad was more of a farmer mm-hmm. and uh, he liked growing things and plants and animals, but I just really enjoyed being on a boat mm-hmm. and uh, started just with rowboats, you know, being in charge of a little vessel, even though it just had two oars. Yeah. It was very light. And just looking down at the bottom and just being out on your own and driving something. Yeah. I, was, I really enjoyed that. And then I graduated to a small sailboat, which was just magic. The way that the wind, yeah. you know, propelled the boat. And, and being able to just have that instant gratification of, you know, the rudder. Yeah. Just, okay, I want to do this now or the reaction of that. And just, there was, there was just a sizable amount of mystery Mm-hmm. involved in the in sailing yeah. to me i mean there was the wind wasn't ever very steady it was always a little gusty and you didn't know where it, where it would show up or not the weather back then the weather this makes me sound like i'm super old which i guess i'm getting there but nowadays you know they're they're so good at predicting the wind and the weather and the yeah. rain and and back then it was just sort of like a, at a whim of nature it would be windy and and I had a really good childhood friend who was just, we were very inseparable. We both loved the sailing these boats. And we would just sail whenever there was wind. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got we got pretty good at it. And we, we sailed this boat. We went out year-round. We rolled over in the middle of Lake Washington in the winter and got rescued by the police. And uh, just, you know, luck would have it that somebody was observing us from a, house on the shore saw us turn turtle and uh and we were sitting on the bottom and the boat was actually kind of sinking and um it was too far to swim in and yeah and you know some the police came you know right when you when you uh when you needed them they were there so it was great and uh and so you know just graduated from to bigger and bigger boats and then it was really kind of crazy there was a this same guy and i lance my buddy lance reinhardt and i we built, we rebuilt a boat when we were probably in junior high. And Is this the one that you lived in? Uh, no, this was like a, we both read this book by Robin Lee Graham called uh, Dove. I, I, you gave, I have yeah. two copies that you gave to me. Yeah, right I guess for I, me it was. I haven't read them yet. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing story. And I think it's, it's just incredible because 
His parents were also very uh, willing to let their son chase their passion. And in a very small boat, only 26 foot, feet long, he sailed off around the world alone. Wow. And this small boat, and that was well before GPS, radar. I mean, he was basically just with a sextant and... Compass. And a compass and, you know, and just the mental, the physical, the mental... Yeah. Just all the challenges of just being alone, let alone in that environment. Yeah. He sailed around the world. He stopped, of course, a bunch of times. But mm -hmm. he wrote this book called Dove, and we each read it, and we were just spellbound by it. We were just like, oh, my God. Because the guy was, he wasn't that much older than us. We probably were, you know, 13, 14, and here he was 16 doing that trip mm -hmm. and writing about it. And so we um, we bought a boat that was a derelict boat that was in a marina, mm -hmm. and we got it on a flatbed truck and somehow unloaded it in, in our backyard, which was big enough to handle it, and we had it up on this skid, and every shop class we had, we were doing a project for our boat, oh, wow. and it, you know, we built bow sprits and uh, all kinds of hardware type stuff and hatches, and and we finally launched the vessel, and uh, it sailed very poorly. It sailed like... Why? Like what's... It, it was just a bad design. It was nothing that we oh. could have foreseen. I think it was probably why it was a derelict yeah. to begin with. Oh, wow. uh, we would go down with our hard-earned, you know, paper out money and, and spend it all, you know, on one small bag of green hardware. And, mm -hmm. and uh, we, we finally... It took us a couple of years to get it all in good shape. Before you ever sailed it? Before we even sailed it. That's crazy. It was crazy. And it had dried out, and we caulked the seams with this cotton, and we did a lot of... And the boat had nice lines. That was what was kind of dis discouraging. It had it had really pretty nice lines. Oh, wow. And uh, it had a V-berth, and, um, you know, we, we, it was, we, we used some stones for ballast, and it would sail almost as... Uh, it would, for every foot or, you know, meter or whatever ahead, mm -hmm. it would go at least that much sideways. Oh wow! It just didn't, it just didn't have the ability to, to point into the wind at all. And we tried a bunch of different things, and you know we we had an outboard on it, and we motored around. And about that time, we were about sixteen, and we kind of he he was a little older than me, and we sort of went on you know other paths a little bit. We're still friends, but um, it was odd though. There was my neighbor, another neighbor not far from us, had a boat that he had been had moored at his house for. As long as I can remember, as long as we'd been there, nobody'd been on it. Mm -hmm. and it was getting moldy and didn't have a mast up, but it was a sailboat. And it had incredibly nice lines at the time. I thought it was just awesome. And, it, and, it, and yet it never went out. And, mm -hmm. and, and I'd see the guy down there occasionally, and he'd putting tarps over it or whatever. And this was just about the time that our other boat didn't work. And I had a Hobie cat, and I always worked. Mm -hmm. Just always had a job. What's a Hobie cat? It's a catamaran, small catamaran, oh, sixteen cool. foot catamaran. Yeah. Just a, a joy to sail. Yeah, you know, gets up on one pontoon. It goes really fast. Oh, that sounds fun. Super fun boat to mm -hmm. sail. And and he and my my buddy and I we raced that, and and we were bigger, and so when the wind would blow, we would do really well because we oh could, yeah keep it down. We keep it down, and they're they're actually fast when they're down, yeah. as opposed to up on one. So we, we got a lot of sailing in on that, and then I, I crewed for a boat that sailed around the sand, around the Puget Sound and racing. Mm -hmm. And then, I, uh, and then I, I saw this guy showing that boat to some people, 
And, and I went over to him and I was about 17 about that time. I was about 17 and a half or so. It's in my junior year, mm-hmm. high school. I'm pretty much your age right now. Yeah. And, and I saw him and he was showing the boat and I said, God, I've always been fascinated by this boat. What, what are you doing with it? He goes, oh, I'm thinking about selling it. And the people had gone by then. I said, can I look inside? And, and I looked inside and it was un. It was not. It was brand new boat, but it was uncompleted. He had he had bought it brand new and then stripped it entirely, and then slowly been putting it back together. How and big was it? Thirty two feet. Oh, cool. It was an Islander thirty two. Nice. So I'm a glass in design, and it had kind of big ugly windows, but I changed those. But anyway, he was very. We we couldn't have been more polar opposite of people. Like, mm. I was like, I just wanted to sail, and I just you know loved the idea of just being around people sailing. He was all about the project and, yeah. you know, getting it perfect. Mm-hmm. And my, my saying in life is, there it's good enough. It's done, you know. Yeah. There, that's good enough. That's I mean, fun, or, uh, for, function of yeah, yeah, way over. Like, yeah, so far over that I just, that's my guiding principle in most things. Yeah, same and, with me. Yeah, so, so I said, you know, um, this is a great boat. This is an awesome boat. And I was just sort of like, I was intoxicated at the idea of this boat being possibly mine, right? Mm-hmm. I said, I will, I'll, I'll buy this boat if, it's, if you sell it to me at a reasonable price or something crazy like that. And he goes, I'll, give it, I'll sell it to you for what I paid for it, 20 grand. Wow. And I'm like, okay. I said, uh, I'll, put down, I'll put down a couple thousand because I was going to sell my Hobie Cat and everything I owned. And, yeah. And, and, and then I'll, uh, and I'll, when I turn 18, <clears throat> I'll get a loan and I'll pay it off. So I'll do a balloon payment. So it's kind of a zero down, chase me around yeah. kind of deal. Cool. And so right there, we sort of struck a deal and, and he said, well, you know, I'll think about it. But, but pretty much he was, he was kind of, in, he didn't need the money. Yeah. It was his parents' house and they had, you know, satisfied his financial needs. Mm-hmm. He didn't live there, but. He didn't is, work. That, is it around here? Yeah, it was right down near on Arrow Point. Oh, cool. And so it was moored there. And and like I said, for 10 years, nothing got done to it. Mm-hmm. And so he had all these... It was like a dream come true. I mean, all these parts for it were... It was all there. It just wasn't put together. Yeah. There was oh, like cool. all the sails and masts were all in his, the garage. Mm-hmm. And this panel, this incredibly complicated panel, which was beyond... Blew my mind. But, you know, Monel fuel tanks you know, these really great winches. And, and so we kind of finally struck a deal and I, I sold my boat and gave him some money and I was mowing his parents' lawn. I mean, I was just like, I was just hanging on to this deal by a thread, you know, yeah. but, but I was in there and my dad was unfortunately incarcerated at the time. And, um, he wasn't a good co-signer. Yeah. Um, but my, thankfully my uncle was willing to do that. That's cool. And so he co-signed on a loan for like I think it was at that point it was like sixteen or eighteen thousand. Wow. It was a big deal at that time. Yeah. That was a lot of money, and and my payment was like two hundred and forty a month or something. Wow. And uh, which seemed to be a fair amount, but you know things weren't looking good for me school wise then. And were you older now? How long? I was eighteen. Okay. Eighteen, and I had a succession of jobs, and I had I'd stopped going to high school. Oh, really? I was just working full time. Cool. My sisters were way more organized around uh, 
school, mm-hmm. and and they were obviously going places. My my younger sister uh, graduated early from junior high, high school, and college. Wow. And and went to you know Lakeside on a scholarship, and then got mm-hmm. into Stanford on a scholarship. Wow. And was just a buzzsaw, an academic buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. And my older sister was very similar, very smart. Yeah. And there wasn't just a lot of money laying around for my education. And I wasn't all that fired up about it anyway, because mm-hmm. I had a lot of ADD sort of things. At that time, it was undefined. Yeah. But I just got, I was just always kind of staring out the window. Yeah. In a way that wasn't scholastically productive. Yeah, that sounds like me and a lot of people I know. You know what, though? I The thing that was funny, though, is I, where, where, and you're like this too, I know that, is where you are interested, you find the, the, bandwidth for the attention of it right? definitely yeah i almost feel like everyone probably has add it's just kind of exactly selective. it's like, so totally yeah that's i mean if you find something that you find interesting you're no longer add yeah i mean totally are you add to begin with then or probably are you just not, yeah. not uh entertaining the right ideas or whatever yeah anyway i, I really so when did you start living on the boat so i i got in an argument with the guy about he was very fastidious about, you know, oh, no, I had this in mind for this. You oh, know. he wanted you to, like, do certain things with yeah. it? Yeah, and I was like, I just want to get the mast up and go sailing with my friends, you know? Yeah. And was that still on his property? Or it was still at his parents' house. Okay. And so, you know, I had I had just gotten a loan right about then. I was turned 18. It was in March of my mm. senior year. I was 18. And I gave him, the, you know, gave him the check, right? Here you go. Yeah. It's mine now. Right. You don't, you, I mean, great for you to tell me and, and store some of the things that I'm going to put on it. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I'm calling the shots. And he didn't take well to that. Yeah. And, and, and pretty much that was it with him. He, when I didn't have the right kind of soldering, you know, progression for the fuse panel, he bailed out. And he was an idiot anyway. He was a complete tool. <laughs> um, so, it didn't hurt my feelings. It just meant I had to move the boat. Yeah. And so I moved it to a dock next door with the neighbors because they were like, thought it was crazy that I did that, that I bought a boat when I was, yeah. you know, young. And I was, and they didn't realize I was actually living, living on it. Oh, you were living in this front yard? I, I, I moved on to it when it wasn't done because it was okay. I mean, there was parts of it that were done. Yeah. And, and it just, it was okay. Mm-hmm. And then um, ended up getting a job uh, working at Waterfront Construction at Eurobay Marina, where they were based, oh, cool. and tying it up at the end out there and being kind of the night watchman. Oh, nice. And living on the boat out there. And, you know, just melt, met a lot of kindred souls I over bet. there. Yeah. There was other, maybe not the same age as me, but there's a lot of people in that time. It was 1978. They were working on boats and planning trips. And mm-hmm. it was great synergy there, good community. And wherever you are, if you have community, that's all you need. I agree. I think that's... Uh... Like, I know a lot of people, like me included, and a lot of people my age, interested in, like, just sort of, like, you know, not, I'm not specifically this, but this is a good example. Right. <clears throat> van life. Just sort of, like... Yes. No, I follow tra- van life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just love sort of it. like, traveling around. I feel yeah. like it'd be that kind of situation. You just meet Oh, I think so, for sure. Interesting. Like, and the yes. kind of like-minded. Oh, and I think you'd be, like, you would, it would be amazing the journeys you would take with those people, mm-hmm. just the stories and where they've been and where that would lead you, Yeah, you know, and, oh, I think it'd be amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm, I look at vans way longer than I ever have now. I'm always checking them out. Yeah. And, uh, 
I, I one day there will be a van in my life. I just mm-hmm. and I and I I hope it's sooner than later. Yeah, definitely. But it's similar to this same thing where you, you know, it was it was it's a boat. It's where you're gonna, you know, be, and you just bring your your individuality to it. Mm-hmm. It was it was a great time, and and uh, right away I got the mast up and the sails up, and you know, even though the thing wasn't all the way completed, it wasn't that far from it. And I started sailing, and and the summers were incredible, right? I bet. Like, it was just sailing down by Marsh Park and just loading, like, literally every girl on the beach I would, would come out on the boat, and we'd sail off. That's fantastic. And and then we'd come back and drop some off and pick up some more. And so it was it was just really fun. Yeah. And there was a Friday night race down there that Anthony's Home Port still puts on. That we would always race in, and the boat wasn't very fast, mm-hmm. but um, you know, and we would be heavily laden with people. Yeah, and you can race with like all as many people. Oh yeah, no, we had like ten or twenty people on there sometimes, just and, kind of for fun. Yeah, it was always for fun. And, That's cool. And so it was just a really good way to live on that boat, have that community, mm-hmm. you know, have that those good times, um, and and just be you know living on my own as well, and so. Um, yeah, that was that was great, uh, and then I lived on it for about ten years. Seriously? Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, I lived on it for ten years, and then I sold it to my little brother. Oh, that's cool. And then he lived on it for a long time, and he took it down to Mexico, and I sailed it down there with him. And oh, occasionally, I see it out here in Puget Sound. Oh, seriously? Crazy, yeah. You sailed it from here to Mexico? He he did. He sailed it. Uh, he sailed it all the way from here to Mexico. I jumped on a couple little legs with him. Yeah. But he and his girlfriend did most of that. That's super cool. And yeah, and he ended up down there, and uh, it was a tough trip for him. You know, okay. it's just a tough trip anytime you're living on the water outside like yeah. that. Uh, he had a lot of wind in his face, no matter where he went. It seemed like that was his curse. Yeah. Like when he was going down that way, it was the wind was going the other way. When he was coming up, it was going the other way. Um, he ended up putting it on a truck, but he, you know, he had a great time with it and spent, you know, a few years doing it mm-hmm. lived in santa cruz for a while and and uh, it's kind of what i wanted to do but you know to be honest i worked on the water after that at that point mm-hmm. and it was just you know living on it in the winter was tough i bet is it really cold it's cold yeah and dark and oh, wow. you know your condensation in a fiberglass boat goes to the deck Top and, and then like, freezes oh wow in those sort of like mini stalactite things oh and it's just hard to get warm and it's small it's like a cardboard box on the water it was like that and it just you couldn't go i mean even though we sailed a little bit it just it, it it's not as much fun at 40 degrees yeah as it is at 75 you know i mean it's just i don't know i got i never thought i would ever be that person that loved something that much mm-hmm. and then just one day didn't you just stopped. Completely. I just stopped loving it. It oh, was wow. so weird. I you know I can kind of understand that. I kind of get like that. I tend to do things until I just don't want to do them anymore. I mean, you know what though? I mean, it's kind of like for me, it was kind of a little. It's a bit of an identity crisis because I mean, yeah, I was so over the top into it, mm-hmm. and then, and then, you know, it took a little while, but then all of a sudden, just not. Yeah. Right. Just like. Kind of like a, a mini ego death. Like it was, a, it was a total ego death. It was yeah. like, well, let's go sailing. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, where it just it just was weird. I mean, I, I still follow sailing, mm-hmm. you know, people and 
and I still get it, right? I still see people that do it, and, and you know, it'd probably be super fun someday to get on a boat and see it lean over. Yeah. I mean, but the way I was so passionate about it, it almost scared me how I could be so passionate about doing something and then just one day just, like, it'd be like if you had a, if you were a gardener and you loved your lawn, mm-hmm. getting halfway through mowing it and just going, I fucking hate this. Yeah. And just walking away. <laughs> so you just immediately sold the boat or just like? Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. I sold, well, I sold it to my brother and then, you know, it's, it was fun visiting him and sailing with him. But when we'd get to a place, I'd go to a hotel, right? Yeah. And it felt great. Mm. And, you know, I don't know. We had a great time. Uh, we, you know, we got into San Blas and got eaten by these bugs that fit right through the Northwest sort of screens. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they got us, they ate us alive. But, you know, I mean, it's so great, that adventuresome time, you know, when I sailed that boat around, I took a trip up into Desolation Sound on it. Oh, cool. I was that just there. felt like going to Alaska. Yeah, I bet. And, and, uh, and those were just great times back then. And it was almost like after that. What was there sort of left for me to sort of conquer around here in a way? Because mm-hmm. it's so, you know, my first time anywhere and my favorite places are places I haven't been before. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, wow, this is unbelievable and maybe not even heard about. Yeah. And I one, think yeah. that's uh, probably one of the coolest, I mean, I'd say probably one of the coolest of my dad's friends. Because, um, like, who else goes to Burning Man and Slab City and kind of you're kind of still doing all the these kind of weird adventures that you whatever it is that sort of picks your imagination a little bit i think you need to follow it like if there's something you're curious about Mm -hmm. go all in i mean get to the point of where you no longer give a fuck about it yeah i think that's like that's not a bit i mean it's sometimes it feels false maybe once you get there and turn around Mm -hmm. but i don't know I mean, it seems like all all those things that you do that are crazy, not crazy, but that are in, interesting and unique. Yeah. The second time, I don't know. How can it beat the first time? I mean, I would go back to Burning Man for sure. It was killer. Yeah, I want to go sometime. I think you'd freaking love it. I think I would too. You're, it's kind of... How you would you, absolutely... How did you decide to go to Burning Man? Because it's, it's not really a... You're not really the demographic that goes to Burning Man, I don't think. You know, there's a that's a misconception because oh, really? the demographic of Burning Man is pretty broad. Oh, for real? I mean, it's there's for sure slated. I mean, slanted towards younger people. Mm-hmm. But my uh, godson Shane Heath, who you know, mud water guy. Oh yeah. Um, Drank some mud water this morning. Did you? I had yeah. some too. My my next bag came in today. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I love that stuff. A little coconut oil in mine today was awesome. Um, he uh, he was he's been a burner for years, right? He just he goes all yeah. the time, and he was always telling me about it, you know. And and he wasn't even it wasn't even so much the pictures because he had some pictures, but they don't do it justice. Nothing mm-hmm. really does. Yeah. And he didn't oversell it in any way. He just sort of said, you know, this is it's kind of this, the the you know the. The playa, and I was like, "What's the playa?" You know, and 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 it was intriguing in the pictures and the art. I love the big installation art, right? Yeah, that looks really cool. That's really what kind of drew me to it the most. Mm-hmm. Was like, God, they make these structures for one week, and they're pretty elaborate. Yeah, and then everybody's got a little pyro in them, maybe a lot of pyro in them, yeah. pyromaniac, and that was very enticing, and just the idea that it's you know a cash-free society that you just barter and trade and mm. you know it just i don't know it just seemed really fascinating and then 
I had someone that that wanted to fly down there, and and they had they had tickets. Oh, cool. And I'm like, okay. And they're actually really organized around the trip. They they mm-hmm. did their research. They hadn't been before either, mm-hmm. but um, it was it was good. And then I got down there, and it was like there was a lot of excellence down there. Excellent. How so? I mean, people that were really prepared to have mm-hmm. a good time, and you know, a complete orchestra. Yeah. You know, is going to play these three nights and. Oh, you know, cool. this fireworks show, these people doing, uh, you know, the drums, the all, all the different things that they did, you know, the jazz bands, the, I mean, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of people that come and, and, and go full on, a, a skating rink set up, uh, all these elaborate... How do they do a skating rink? I mean, they put plywood down. I mean, there's people that spend a lot of money to make a cool presentation to gift people. That is super cool. Come here... We're going to give you a margarita. Here's some skates. Do your thing, you know? Wow. And How does it compare to Chaz? Or oh, my God. Chaz? There's zero... Com- I mean, it's like... That's a pimple on a... Yeah. I mean, that's nothing compared to... This is like... I mean, that was... It, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a similar, I guess you'd say, unlimited potential vibe. Yeah. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> but on that, on that, for that 11 minutes that I was there, just yeah. taking a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, for 30 seconds. But no, I, I, I was, I would love to go back and I, you know, your dad and I were thinking about going, we, we, I mean, we might've even gotten tickets, but uh, it just seemed like, you know, it's the kind of thing that I'd, I'd love to do again, probably will. But if I only did it once, it was great. Mm-hmm. I bet. And and there's other things like that that you know I've been mired in in this work thing for a little bit now. That's got a it's got a horizon. It's got a light at the end of that tunnel. And that'll be sort of things that I'd like to do. You know I I like the idea of you know doing some uh, traveling and stuff like that once that opens up. So, but I don't know you know where or what. But there's little mini Burning Man things. Oh really? That happen oh, in every state. I want to talk to you about this. You know about the Cacophony Society? I've heard of them. So that's who started Burning Man. It was like this little... Right, that, and it was on the coast they started. Yeah, like yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, I, it was north of there, I think, Bolinas or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. I got a book about them just because I, I heard someone talking about Burning Man, how uh-huh. it started, and it's really interesting. Like, yeah. Their whole like thing is just like, you can be part of, like, it's the Cacophony Society, but anyone is can be just make a branch of the Cacophony yeah. Society. And the point is just to do weird stuff. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of evolved into Burning Man. Yes, yeah. Well, there, there's all these mini sort of Burning Man, and then they they all go down there. Well, this year it's not happening, obviously. Yeah. So they're probably going to be pretty elaborate in their own little, mm-hmm. like I don't know where they do it around. I think there's like Maltby or maybe even further up by Mount Bird. I don't know. They they meet and they burn things, and <laughs> yeah. you know they 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 do what they do, right? They yeah. You know, there's there's nudity probably. There's probably music. There's fantastic dancing. There's yeah. uh, You know, it's it's for sure very open. Mm -hmm. And 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 actually, there was a guy I worked with that um, was a burner, um, big time. That's his whole identity was built around it. Really, and he had a lot a lot of influence in me wanting to go too. And just because you know he was just I mean he would get this sort of glazed over look. Yeah, you know, and then, and but but mostly Shane, you know, I, I went and I met him there, and I gifted him him and and Kyle Terman a a flight out to where there's a hot springs. Oh yeah, you told me about that. that yeah, really and fun. that was like, and for those guys, they'd been there like ten years in a row. 
How long has it been going on? Uh, it's been going for like probably 30. Oh, okay, cool. So he'd been doing it with his dad, I think. Kyle does a big art car with, with uh, Shane. They have a big margarita car. No, it's uh, Mimosa Sunrise. That's there. Oh, cool. And so met them there, and it was just great to see him in that element. Yeah. And, and um, then I gifted him a trip out to this hot spring, which there was like a dude ranch. Mm-hmm. Big breakfast, big shower, then go into this really cool hot spring, which was super clean and no sulfur. Oh, wow. I'm kind of a hot spring guy. Yeah, I mean, so, I'm like I, I've 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 had trips that were organized just around hitting hot springs that I've considered massive successes. Cool. You know? Yeah, uh, and I rate them, you know, on water clarity, sulfur content. Where do you put the bottom ratings? quality? <laughs> where are the, where are these ratings? Oh, you just right here, where it matters. Yeah, just in my head. Okay, cool. Just in my memory bank, in my little. Where's a Where's a top one? Well, that one outside of Burning, it's a, it's a, it's about a twenty minute, not thirty minute flight from Burning Man to this little, Mm -hmm. uh, this little frick. It's out in the middle of nowhere, but there's a ranch around it. It's very, like it was the Indian, you know, the Native Americans were there, the pioneers were there. I mean. It's just an insane place where there's, it's an oasis, right? Yeah. All around it is nothing. And um, anyway, so that's a good one. The water quality is yeah. solid. The temperature, great. No sulfur. The access was really easy and nice. So hot springs kind of, sorry to like interrupt, but no. hot springs kind of brings it's us. all flowing. Yeah, to something that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I mean, it kind of loosely brings us to it, just reminded me of it. Um, you're on the committee that's going to decide when the big earthquake happens. Right. So can you tell let us know when the big earthquake is Right. Well, we're, let's just say this. We're overdue. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, if you went out to, um, if you went out to any of the bays that are along the coast, like Grace Harbor, mm-hmm. Willapa Bay, you know, Discovery Inlet, any of those places where there's a marshy kind of area. Yeah. And then you let's take you had a like you had a crawler backhoe and you're able to, to go down about twelve or fourteen feet just mm-hmm. in and get a, a side section of the earth right yeah. there, right? You'd see these layers that are, you know, obvious, right? And and where there's a, a larger distance between the layers, mm-hmm. there's a thicker layer of this sand material. Yeah. Over the mud and then another layer of sand. And I just I'm feeling the need to let the people know. You're not actually deciding when the earthquake is. No. I, that was a joke. Nobody does, <laughs> yeah, right? That, that yeah, I'll let them know. Yeah, um, no. But I'm only... You're and only, and I'm, I'm so deathly in awe of it. Yeah, Sam, I think it's cool. I'm deathly in awe of like, it. I don't know what really I'm more worried that, I, that I'm that i in it or that I miss it. I don't know which one yeah. I'm more worried about or where I am yeah. during it. I'm, I mean, I'm kind of weirdly excited about it, kind of that like weird fascination with like what's possible, you know? Yes, yes. That's why I didn't take to the humor of it. I, I, I'm so... <gasps> I, oh, okay. I mean, I'm just... It's just... To me, it's like the holy grail out there. Yeah. So what's... What, what are you... You're the president of the... I'm a, of an organization of ship pilots, yeah. right? And so um, the way that, that it played out for me was really interesting in this for me is that uh, there was our station that we go to in Port Angeles that we wait for ships at yeah. is perched on a spit. 
How cool. out there, Dungeness, or it's actually Edith's Hook. It's one of the three natural spits, mm-hmm. and two that are out there. New Dungeness, Edith's Hook, created by River out, you know, Wash. And yeah, Sand. I've been to the Dungeness spit. It's really right. cool. Yeah, so those are natural. They're, I think they're among the largest of their kind. They're, they're a deposit of sand, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we built this station out there in the 30s or whatever, and there's a Coast Guard station out there as well. And one of the guys that worked for us bought a new truck. And every once in a while, we'll get a tsunami warning, you know. And they'll mm-hmm. say, oh, tsunami in the North, you know, Atlantic, Pacific. And How often do we get those? You know, every couple of years. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Just small ones? Pretty regular. Anytime there's a big earthquake somewhere in the Pacific, okay. there's usually a warning that goes off. So like in like 2011, do we get like a small one from Japan kind of? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, but it really hit other places big yeah. time, like in Santa Cruz or whatever, where where the confines of the harbor were lined up perfectly wrong, mm. and it came in and, you know, couldn't have anywhere to go. I mean, oh, it's right. such a crazy concept. This wave moves at over 600 miles an hour, but you don't see it yeah. on the surface until it shows up That's really in weird. shallow water. I mean, the whole thing is, like, very science-oriented, and, mm. and I'm not much of a science background, yeah. but I, I love listening to science yeah me too like scientists talking it's one ian miller who's a he's a coastal hazards experts for noaa mm-hmm. and and so getting back to this we're, we're an exposed area out there at the station yeah. where we are now where we keep the boat and we sleep overnight and we run pilots out back and forth to the ships mm-hmm. and we have one of the people that drives the boat had a brand new truck and it was not long after there had been a tsunami warning and and the question was posed to this guy would you would you run out and save your truck from a tsunami? Because he was near retirement, yeah, and he was going to camp and go everywhere. Or would you take the boat out into deeper water where you know it would be easily survivable? Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Oh, I'm going to take my truck." <laughs> and everybody's like, "Oh, come on, man! You know, you got to take the boat. You can replace your truck. These these boats are you know hard to replace." And, yeah, and he got a little heat for it, and it kind kind of you know it was pretty heavily debated, and and um. I, I thought, you know, I'm going to find somebody that can, can help us on this. You know, why not? This is interesting to me. Mm. And so I called, I looked it up on the internet, of course, coastal hazards expert or whatever, mm. tsunami, and boom, this guy just blew it up, right? Yeah. Noah called him up. Hey, I, I got a question. You know, we're a, we're a beach-oriented business where we are beach, you know. And I told him, oh, yeah. He goes, oh, yeah, I know where you guys are. Mm. I thought that was, wow, that's pretty interesting. He knows about the pilots. Nobody yeah. really knows about the pilots and where we are. Like, you should probably you... tell anyone listening just kind of what that is. Just yeah, it's a harbor pilot. We, we get on the ships when they get close to their destination and then navigate them in. The, the ship's yeah. masters, they can get all across the ocean and mm. handle all the storms and, and the cargo and the crew. But when it comes to navigating the, the ships, vehicles on Earth. the biggest moving, man-made moving objects on the Earth, yeah, we, parallel we, we not only do that, we love doing that. Like, that's awesome that we were the ones that were playing in the bathtub with the boats yeah and we still kind of reenact maneuvers that we do with each no I, I think you need to spin it that way and we get in these heated debates about these very nuanced little topics about ship handling about where you might put the tug versus another way and people storm off and no it's, we're passionate about it yeah but, but so anyway we're those people and there's 50 of us and um, so I had this this guy come out. All right, I called him and I talked to him on the phone. I said, you know, 
hey, um, you know, we're, we're really at risk where we are, obviously, as you know. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, yeah, you guys are at risk. I said, I'd like to be able to get you to come out. I don't know where you're even at. I thought he was at the UW. And, and speak to our group about that and what kind of safety measures and precautions. Is your spot take. like particularly in danger because of like the topography or something? It or is. It just... It's kind of out on the end of the spit. Okay. And so the way off is is precarious if oh, you're. You have like one way. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's only one way out and one way on. It's mm-hmm. like a one lane road. And it's wow. virtually, sometimes it's water breaks over it. Oh, wow. It, at high tides or big seas. So it's very low level one lane road and very precarious if there's a seismic activity. So so I said, well, yeah, what would it take to get you out to Port Angeles and you can give us, you know, a, a little, you know, spiel on, mm-hmm. on this, you know, hazard. And he goes, you know, I live in Port Angeles and part of my job is explaining what what a kind of a hazard tsunamis pose to us. So mm-hmm. I can be there tomorrow. I mean, when... When do you want to do this? That's cool. And so I set it up so that everybody could have some lead time, and I invited the Coast Guard, which was next door, mm. to attend. And so they did, and this guy came out. He's a you know, very low-key, but has a massive vocabulary, but was able to dumb it down um, and make it all make sense. And, yeah. he, and he showed these you know, layers of how many times in the last, since the Ice Age, over the last 20,000 years, mm that there's been a tsunami and the last one was was exact you know virtually it's between three and five hundred years and the last one was like uh, so every layer of sediment is a tsunami yeah wow the last one was uh i believe it was i had the date for a long time it was like january 29th uh 1700 how did they do that that. oh because the 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 layer but then they were able to take that layer then the most recent one the Mm -hmm. big one and they went and and the Japanese have a lot better, uh, you know, history recorded history. Yeah. Because they had paper and oh, they would have had it marked. And they, they had it marked it. then. Wow. And and so it was correlated through that and carbon dating. Mm-hmm. They were able to nail it down to like the day. Seriously. Yeah, and and it was literally. How far can they do that? I don't know. That's a good question. But well, I mean, they kind of get it in a rhythm, right? I mean, yes. Yeah, so the the it happens the pretty succession. Regularly. Yeah, it's like every three to five hundred years. Wow. And so it's been a little over 300 years, right? 1700 to 2010. So we've got kind of 2020, like I mean, I'm sorry. A hundred-ish years window that's supposed yeah. to happen. Yeah, I mean, we're like, we're like, you know, I don't know what the exact percentages are. They're, they're not zero, yeah. but, you know, they're higher than zero for sure, um, mm-hmm. that we're due for one. And the longer that it goes between the 300 to the 500, the bigger adjustment is because it's tectonic plates yeah. that are rising and falling under each other, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, one's coming up and one's getting pinched, and then it's the relief yeah. of that and that adjustment that causes it. Are they always kind of like wiggling, or is it just are they stuck and then they just finally break apart? I, you know what, they're always like, moving like at a fingernail growth pace. Okay. And and one's diving under the other one, mm-hmm. but right now that one is bowing up, oh, and getting ready to release that tension yeah. and go under it. And when that does that in the ocean, they can find really easily recorded like core samples that are drilled from oceanic, oceanographic vessels let mm-hmm. offshore. In at that point of that ridge, it causes these big sand slides, and then it's covered with sediment. Oh wow! And then another layer of sand slide. So. 
it's really like clockwork. Like it really happens. And when you, when you, when you look at the straits that way and you look down and you're, you're flying over it, you can just see where there's been these big washes, you know, from, like, from these tsunamis, the ocean coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You can just kind of see things are, things are sort of organized that way in a teardrop, mm -hmm. you know, or you can say, Oh yeah, that low land there got washed out by, and, and it's, it's very pronounced in the native culture out there in the first nation. Mm, yeah. They, the chiefs did not live down on the beach. They yeah. lived up on the bluffs because of the historical, you know, wow. nature yeah. of these repeated events. Right. Yeah, but three to five hundred years seems like you're that's, playing it really safe to not live on the beach. That's know? what they did, though. I mean, that's a big deal when yeah. when everybody gets wiped out. The the oral history picks up on that. Mm, yeah, I bet. Wow. And it goes for for a long time. That's why they're particularly, I think, unnerved by COVID because of their ancestors' oh, yeah, yeah. experience with other plagues Diseases, that were yeah. brought on. Wow, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. So what kind of like damage are we looking at if this earthquake happens? Like just to kind of have fun. Well, they've said that, you know, kind of like beyond I-5 will be just pretty decimated. Beyond I-5, like from? Like west of I-5. Okay, seriously. You know, yeah, it'll be, it'll be. Is that from the tsunami or the earthquake? So the earthquake. Okay. So the guy, the guy was there, he said, we sat down and he said, okay. I said, well, so what brings us here, Ian, Dr. Miller, mm. is that uh, there's this, uh, truck out here as you can see with the sticker on it brand new that we're trying to figure out if the guy would take the boat or take the truck and he and he laughed he said okay so let's just say that this plate finally buckles today mm. we're not going to be able to stand up in this room here on the spit he was in the pilot station yeah he goes the ground is going to shake so much that you're not even be able to stand up he said the mill that's down there at the end of the spit will will cave in on the road. All the light poles that you see will fall on the road. The road will be buckled in ways that are unpassable. Wow. Um, it will be devastating. There's no way you'll be able to get anything. No person will be able to get off this spit any other way than a boat. Wow. And so I had the Coast Guard guy there with me, and he said that he wouldn't be able to start his boats. In a, in, within two hours, right? Because all the crew lives up on the land. Oh, yeah. yeah they have and they'd have to down. come down and do whatever they do to start them up. And so he has a base where there's, you know, any, at any time there's between 20 and 150 people there. Mm. And he said, it looks like our only way out is on your pilot boats. Why? Can because you, we're crewed 24-7. Oh, oh, you're always down there? We're always, we always have somebody crewed. Oh, wow. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to do that, but we don't have 120 life jackets. And, and the Coast Guard would get very pissed. <laughs> he goes, well, we would make an exception. <laughs> cool. So anyway, it was just really one of those moments where everyone was just like, and, you know, he made that, that statement and then he just backed it up, right? With, with just all, all this, the evidence, you know, the pictures of the dig that they had done mm -hmm. with the back of the track hoe showing the layers, you know, and where, where it had done that. It's very well, it was great. I see, I see him every once in a while, a great guy. That's super interesting. Ian Miller, great guy, yeah. Wow. You would really like this book, I think. We talked about this a little bit a while ago, Magicians of the God. You can pull it out. Uh-huh. Um, but it's kind of a – it reminds me – or what we were just talking about reminded me of that because uh, I know you've been – you're kind of interested in this, like, you know, like the glacial erratics and stuff across like, – Yes, I Washington. love the glacial erratics. Yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe that's my next journey, Yeah. Dan, is – 
is getting in that van and going and and finding all the glacial. I want to find the ones that are out in the Willamette Valley, you know, that made it all the way through the, yeah. the gorge. Yeah, they talk came, about that a lot. In, is that right? A lot. Yeah, the whole first part of that, that book is talking about, like, the cataclysm that he thinks happened. I know you're, you've talked a little bit about Lake Missoula. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Lake Missoula guy. I... Are you did, more of a cataclysm guy? I'm more of a cataclysm guy. After reading this book, I'd, okay. Um, no, I, I I'd read it and then debate it, but yeah. I mean, there's so much science around the 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 Lake Missoula, right? Yeah, there is a lot. I mean, and the evidence, like I love the evidence. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just so. I love it too. I think that all the evidence for Lake Missoula is like compelling, but it's like too big for like Missoula or at least the way it's put in this book is like the damage that stuff that's like noticeable now like the scars on the land right and the ocean level rise is right. too like drastic to be Lake Missoula in the way he's put it like there's uh-huh. lots of different opinions on it right but yeah it's super interesting to me yeah but, did you read that book the trail of the ice age floods no I haven't okay that that would be something you'd want to follow this with just yeah. to get that mm-hmm. perspective yeah because, I mean, you know when you're on, at the ocean and, and, you know, there's all that ocean play, uh, the surf and beach interaction that creates mm-hmm. those little ripples? Yeah. That, like they talk about that a lot in this, the huge ones. Yeah. Yeah. That are over there. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, that's just so cool. It's so cool. To <laughs> it's just so cool. But it reminded me of what you're saying about the Native Americans and like uh-huh. the oral tradition. Yeah. So the whole second part of this book is talking about how this cataclysm that he thinks happened. Um and I can talk more about like the evidence for it if you want, but it's he's talking about there was there's a possibility that there could have been like a high civilization, like probably not like us, maybe like a uh-huh. different way, like an advanced civilization that would have been completely wiped out by this cataclysm because of the sea level rise. You know how most of our cities are like right. by water, right? So the sea levels would have rised and basically, and the floods would have taken everything off the land. Right, decimated the face of the earth. What? Yeah. When would this have been? How many? Um, he, a billion years ago. Twelve thousand. Just twelve thousand. Yeah, he's the, just that recently, like day before yesterday. Yeah. Like because the ice age was gone like twenty thousand years ago. Well, no, that's what the thing is. So, the the cataclysm that he proposes is it's the ice age, and then. Comet, the flooding because it comes from comet impacts uh-huh. on the ice caps that just uh, sort of like melt them. Uh-huh. Instantly just... Yeah, that's their... That's where the juice comes from? Yeah, like Lake Missoula would have been there and just been part of this thing. Oh, okay. All of them and just wiped North America clean. Just 12,000 years ago, though? Don't we have all kinds of evidence between now? I mean, that's not that long ago in a, in a scale, right? Yeah, no, it's not. I'll have to read it. Yeah, I think you should. It It's really interesting. And the... One of the more compelling parts is, have you heard of Gobekli Tepe? No. Okay, so it's kind of like mainstream archaeologists don't like this place because it kind of rewrites history. Cause uh-huh. it's, Where is it? It's in Turkey. Really? Yeah, and it's this like, it's like megalithic site that's dated to like right after this cataclysm. Uh-huh, so like it's 12,000 years ago or so? Yeah, which doesn't make sense because like, in mainstream, like, human evolution theory... Right. We were still hunter-gatherers. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it, they, like, rewrites history, and they kind of think, like, if... You know how today there's... We live in our advanced civilization, and there's hunter-gatherers in Africa and the Amazon, stuff like that? Yeah. And you know how we're, like, super vulnerable to, 
like little changes you as know? we've just seen totally yeah like so we would be super helpless in a situation like this virtually anything beyond this or maybe even this and beyond yes yeah yeah so, so he's thinking like the only way that high civilization could have kind of made it through this cataclysm is to live amongst hunter-gatherers who would have been like taken a lot easier you know yeah yeah they wouldn't have had been as affected as much but probably yeah I mean, some right definitely a lot but they'd have the survival skills to right they could adapt uh-huh and that's so this not this um like knowledge of architecture and building big things with stones would have been like saved like kind of this last remnants from this high society oh would have moved through that yeah okay that's yeah. interesting. Mm. Yeah, I'd like to check that out. I, I would. I'd like to see, even go there. It sounds like a cool... I mean, Turkey sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah and that's where this stuff is. That's where it, he get. That's. I see some pictures in here, and I love books with pictures. Yeah, me too. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Where are we... Uh, Time-wise? Eight minutes. Oh, good. Well, good. So we're good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... Um, yeah, so that, you know what is crazy though, when you get that kind of knowledge about, you know, the the uh, certainty of something horrible like a tsunami, you know, mm-hmm. the, the certainty of it. It's, it's not yeah. a matter of if, it's going to happen. Yeah, does it kind of right? stress you out? It did for a long time. I mean, I was, I was on all these committees about what to do about it and organizing our fear and trying to, you know, project plans and no plans arise first contact, so what's plan B? And, mm-hmm. um and then I found myself, it was, it, was, it was affecting my life. I was like, I couldn't be in a parking garage. Oh, really? Like, I just like, God, I don't want to be here. Like, everything, everything I was looking through was a lens. It was like, okay, what if it happened now? <laughs> like, okay, I'm in an elevator Tunnels. with these people. Yeah. Like, I really don't want to be with these people mm-hmm. for more than this ride up to the third floor. Yeah. And what if everything, you know, it shut everything down and, and now I'm, I'm stuck with them for days and trying to figure out my way out of here. And I mean, it just turned every normal sort of situation into like, how would I deal with this in a, in a, in a massive earthquake scenario? Yeah. And it, I think it, I think it made me paranoid freak, you know, I just, mm-hmm. and, and, and it was unfortunate. It was around the time when my kids were very impressionable about that kind of stuff. And I'd be like, I don't want to park here. You know, this place is going to come down. And that now is like how they they see me as being this like, oh my God, he's afraid of yeah. parking garages. And, and uh, you know, he doesn't like to be confined. And I think it made me a little claustrophobic. Um, yeah, I bet. And so, I don't know. I mean, and you know, I've kind of grown through that where I don't worry about it at all anymore, maybe. Not mm-hmm. even at all. Because I don't think it's things that you worry about that get you. Mm, I think it's things that you don't foresee. Because, I mean, I think if you're worried about something and you see it progressing, you're like, hey, you know, I kind of thought this would happen, and so I'm going to take this plan or whatever. I'm going to do this. Mm. It's when you get blindsided by things, and that's what always happens. It's never what you worry about mm-hmm. that causes your life to turn upside down. Because there's so many millions of things that can, you know, happen that you had no part of that changed your life like what we're going through right now yeah and it isn't about what happens it's how you react to it mm-hmm. so i think it's i think my, my my bigger focus now is just just being like resilient to whatever and open to whatever and just being grateful for what has happened and what is going on in the moment mm-hmm. and not project so much about 
how to get organized around what might happen yeah. in the future. That's fantastic. I think that's that's sort of like where I'm trying to migrate. I think, yeah. I think you get there with meditation. Mm-hmm. I try to, yeah. You know, where you try and uh, appreciate the moment. Yeah. Find gratitude in the moment. Mm-hmm. And just... It's the only thing that exists. It is. Yeah. It's all you got. Yeah. It's all we got. We all we got. And so... I think that if you can, I think the more time that we spend focusing on that mm-hmm. and just, and then just, you know, sort of, I think it just takes a lot of stress out yeah, of totally. your life, mm-hmm. right? You just kind of, just res, res, resign to that or surrender that you're fucking powerless. Yeah. And that you just, you're kind of here on, on yeah. house money. We're all being devoured by time anyways. Anyway, why yeah. worry? I mean, just go out and. Go out and chase your freaking passion and curiosity and and let things roll from there and, and not worry about your PhD. I mean, I love people that are driven to the curiosity level to get, you know, uh, my, my niece is like double major, double minor, speaks Arabic. I love the passion yeah. that, that she has for life and the focus and that mm-hmm. drove her to get those things. Yeah. It's amazing. That is really cool. Uh, I just don't have it myself. And... And appreciate her for doing that, and and but you know for me it's just more focused on just trying to be the best me right now. That's awesome. That's, that's where we're going. That's a good spot to wrap it up. Yeah. So. All right, just a bit man. Out of time. Thank you. So Thank much you. For on. Thank you, Van. Honored to be on. <laughs> Honored. This is such a such a natural for you. How did I'm going to turn the table a little bit, and where, where are you going to go with this? Where, where's um, next? I you mean like who do I want to have on? Yeah, um, I kind of want to have like a. Do you know where Urban Wellness is? I've I've heard of it. Yeah, it's in Kirkland. I want to have like a a herbalist on Uh just talk about like Chinese medicine or Uh just uh, herb or herb herbs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You seem like you have a a good a good uh, start at that of understanding Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, there's yeah. No, this is great. You're good at it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're very receptive to, uh, to, uh, you're a good listener. Thank you. I think that's a good, a good yeah, I try to be. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, man. Live in the moment. Yep. Boom. S- Goodbye, listeners. Happy COVID. <laughs>